I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil professionals who want to quickly keep their fingers on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. We are at episode 99, almost to 100. Almost to 100. And Jake, I am working freakishly on getting some sponsors for us to do a live event for our 100th episode. It obviously won't be for our 100th episode, but what I'm hoping to do is be able to announce it on our 100th episode. It'll be something here in Houston. There'll be food, alcohol involved. We'll invite our listeners. It'll be a good time. That'll be awesome. Hey, and if you're a company out there that wants to be exposed to the Oil & Gas uh, This Week podcast audience, which is the largest Oil & Gas podcast audience in the world, uh, let me know because, like I said, I'm looking for sponsors for our live event. And so we were on the road this last week. Mark, you want to talk about that? Yeah, we had a great time. We went to um, the Mid-Continent Digital Oilfield Conference in uh, uh, Oklahoma. Um, unfortunately, Jake and I recorded a podcast there, but the audio basically kind of sucked. <laughs> so we skipped an episode. So our apologies. It was a learning experience for, for all of us. We took all three podcasts up there. Um, but so we apologize for everybody who's looking for an episode. We just chose to, instead of putting out a kind of bad episode with poor audio quality, we decided just to skip and it would go forward to this one. But it was um, a fun event, though. It, it was a, it was a fun event. We met some good people, had a good time. It was a nice drive. I've never made that drive before. Um, but Jake, I didn't know there were so many miles of nothing in between you know, the north part of Texas and the middle of Oklahoma. How about those speed limits in Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, I got busted. I got pulled over for speeding. And a thanks for the Oklahoma State Police. They actually let me go with a written warning instead of giving me a ticket. And I would have given me a ticket because I was I was booking it. <laughs> and we have a new on-road sponsor, too. Yeah, so um, our... 2017, we have actually uh, a road sponsor for all of our trips that we're doing is Lee Heck and Harrison. Um, they are a, a global experts in talent management, and they, they currently, Jake, help 75% of the Fortune wow. 500 oil and gas comp companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. So wow, hats awesome. off to them. Big shout out for being our travel sponsor for 2017, which means that we're able to take this show and other shows to a lot of good events out there um, and actually run into more of our audience, more of our listener audience. So, um, you know, we'll be talking about them more as we go on. But uh, thanks again for her uh, coming on as, as our on the road sponsor. And we also had the Geo Convention. <clears throat> Yep, coming up in Canada, May 15th and 19th in Calgary. We're going to be up there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, uh, Dustin still has – Dustin reached out to me the other day, actually. He still has some uh, limited booths left. So if you're an oil and gas company, especially if you're a service company and you have some marketing dollars and you need to have some marketing dollars right now because the, the industry is starting to take off, give Dustin a call or shoot him a quick email. Jacob put his uh, email in the show notes. He's basically giving you um, an exhibition space that is normally 10 by 10 that's $1,800 for $1,600 so he's cutting you a deal um, and if you go hit Jake and I up because we'd love to talk to you at the show uh, we're also gonna be at the NAEP Summit which is uh, two weeks from now Jake and we'll yeah be I'm at, looking uh, forward to that I've had a lot of people reach out and say hey look forward to meeting you at NAEP yeah me too so it's gonna be good we're gonna be recording the podcast from there we'll be at Process Safety in March and uh, of course OTC with National OL Varco which uh, Jake I just booked the um, sound guy so awesome. Yeah. So we're going to have good sound out there. We're going to be uh, at OTC. We're actually, Jake, you don't know this yet. We're going to be doing some shows from the Red Wing booth. But we're also going to do a show from National Oil Shrimp Bowl. So it's going to be a, a good exposure. If you if you go to OTC at all, uh, let us know. Come, uh, come, We'll let you know when we're recording. Come listen to us. Maybe even get on the podcast. Come around the happy hour time. That'll make it really interesting. <laughs> yeah. We're, <laughs> we're always looking for the happy hour time. So, so if you're a trade association, a company, a conference, a school, whatever, and you'd like Jake and I to come visit you or bring any of the other podcasts, uh, reach out to Jake or I, and we will be happy to share the details with you. 
And so it's, today is our first Friday Q&A, so you guys know what that means. We take questions from you guys, and this helps us structure the show. Uh, we hope to find, provide you with some good answers. Um, some of these questions today are short, and some are quite long. So we're going to you know, try our best to really get through these uh, and provide you guys with some good answers. Or at least I, make you laugh at us. Yeah, one or the other. All right, so first question up is from Sam Hill, um, and he asks... Hey, Mark and Jake, huge fan of the podcast. I'm in renewables right now, but I am closely following the petroleum sector. I'm going to take a guess and say that the rising rig count in the U.S. coupled with OPEC production cuts is going to narrow the delta between OPEC basket and the WTI Brent crude. With changes like these in the market, do you think it will be profitable for our downstream to start moving its focus away from refining heavier Middle Eastern oil or move towards refining more of our own lighter domestic crudes? All the best, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Sam. What a great question for a bunch of reasons. I just had this discussion yesterday with a, a consulting company that's heavy, heavy, heavy in downstream globally. And so there's a couple things going on here. So one is very few refineries in the world are, are technology complex enough to handle the heavy sour crudes that we handle. Just most countries can't refine it. They, ref, they prefer the lighter, sweeter crudes. And you've heard us talk about this before where since we lifted export ban, it just makes fiscal sense to sell our lighter, sweeter crudes we produce in the shale fields to those other refineries around the world. And we pick up the heavier crudes, which which are harder to refine, but you get a much better yield, much more complex yield, much more petrochemicals out of it. So, but one of the things that's going on, Jake, is with our current administration is there's some changes. Looks like it's coming down the tax route, especially around imports and exports. So if those changes happen, it will then all of a sudden make fiscal sense for us to start refining a good bit of our own crude. Now, this has nothing to do with the spread between uh, Brett and WTI. This has more to do with the financial model if we start um, um, taxing imported crude. Um, so, uh, and I actually think this is probably where it's going to go, which then Sam, it will drive us to start retrofitting our refineries at a much faster pace to start refining these, uh, sweeter, lighter crudes, especially for fuels, right? So gasoline, jet fuel, diesel. Um, but the U S really is a world leader as far as, uh, petrochemical production. Think of all the ethylene crackers are being uh, stacked up out there. And so, um, that will always be part of our mix just because quite simply we can do it. And most other countries can't. Now, what it means for the industry, Jake, is that if we start doing this, it means jobs, right? If you have to go retrofit these refineries, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, trade, uh, labor type of jobs that be created to do all this work. So, um, we'll keep an eye on this. I, I think that Sam, you're probably right. I think this is where it's going to go. I'm not quite sure yet how it's going to work its way out as far as timeframes, because you can't retrofit a refinery in a month or two. This is, you know, several years worth of planning, large CapEx budgets, and then execution. So you're probably looking at, you know, a 10 to 15 year cycle between the companies deciding to do it and when they actually go online. Um, and then different companies will do it in different uh, timeframes based upon how much capital they're willing to put into it and how much risk this is. But great question, Sam. All right. Up next, uh, this is a question from Derek Bentley. For some reason, when I read this at first, I thought I said Dirk Bentley, like the country singer. <laughs> but it's Derek Bentley. He's with the Arvents Group. He writes, Hi, Mark and Jake. Thanks for the excellent podcast. You guys do a great job providing a diverse and informed overview of the oil and gas industry. It's a great way to stay up to speed with moves in the industry. In your podcast number 92, around 10 minutes into the show, you mentioned a standardization memorandum of understanding that was signed in Q3 between some of the operators. Our team is working on a project with some of the major subsea EPC companies to achieve this standardization. Is there any chance that you can help me get my hands on this memorandum of uh, understanding or point me towards someone who can help me find this? Thanks again and good work. 
Yeah, Derek, the odds of somebody like uh, McDermott or Shell or Chevron giving you one of their contracts, pretty darn slim. I hate to tell you. <laughs> um, but I did put a link in there, Jake, where you can throw it in the show notes. Um, so, uh, Derek, you can go to the show notes. You can read the the um, the press release that was done about all these operators. It's really cool. It's um, the first time in my entire history that I've seen something like this happen. And it's eventually going to lead to standardization and all the parts, processes, and pieces offshore, which is going to then lower costs, which is then going to help revitalize the more expensive oil offshore. Um, so the links in the show note, I mean, it's this is this is the who's who's of, of the operator, right? It's um, Wood Group, uh, DNV, Technip, um, uh, Daywood, um, Hyundai, Royal Dutch Shell, Chevron, um, you know. It's a lot of guys. A lot, yeah, a lot of uh, McDermott. So uh, check this out. And this is the beginning of, a, of what I think is going to be a wave where the operators – the drilling contractors, the subsea manufacturers are all finally, after all these years, will get on the same page and start agreeing upon standardization, which is just good, good for everybody. Um, so, so hopefully, Derek, this helped. I'm sorry. I just, you know, even with all the stroke I have, I can't get somebody like Chevron to give me one of their co copy of their contracts. <laughs> but this should be a big help to you. All right. Up next is a question from Tyler Muntean uh, out of Columbia University. He's a graduate student and studying global energy management and policy. He writes, hi guys, it's always a pleasure to listen to your weekly podcast, consistently good insights and dynamic discussion about ever-changing dynamics of the oil and gas business. I'm a second year master's student at Columbia University, specializing in the intersection of global macroeconomic trends and oil and gas markets. I, along with a host of other folks in my program, are eyeing the oil and gas careers. I thought it would be great to engage you guys and possibly arrange for some kind of meeting to discuss the business in general, as well as possible career paths and strategies for students in my program. Your career insights would be very helpful to all of us. I'd be eager to start a dialogue with you guys and perhaps uh, host you for a visit to Columbia University. Look forward to hearing back. All the best, Tyler Muntean. Hey, Jake, you know when people talk about signs that you've made it? <laughs> when yep. Columbia University reaches out to you and me and wants us to go visit and talk to them, I think that's a sign we've made it. Um, but Tyler, yeah, thanks so much for reaching out. And I've actually already started an email exchange with Tyler. We have a call set up pretty soon. Um, we're going to see if we can get out there, Jake. It, it will be uh, you know, great for us to be exposed to all these bright young people in the industry, answer some questions, and probably record a podcast live from, from, their, from, from Columbia University. That'd so be listen, fantastic. Yeah. So listeners, stay tuned. Um, we'll let you know how this thing develops. But uh, like I said, we're already in discussions with them, and it's something that Jake and I would both love to do. And Columbia's in, correct me if I'm wrong, it's in New York, right? It's in New York, yes. Yeah, so that's, it's cool that people are getting into the oil and gas industry from outside, you know, like the the mecca of oil and gas outside of Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana. Well, and, and what's cool about that, Jake, if you if you look at where they are from a political point of view, that tends to be a bastion of kind of anti-oil yeah, and gas. Yeah. It's so cool to see young people realize that this is a great, fantastic industry to work in and want to work in it. So, you know, hats off to everybody in that program over there. Uh, Jake and I will figure out a way to get up there and we'll get to actually meet all y'all in person. Yeah, Tyler, we'll meet you soon. All right, up next is a question from Sylvan. We don't have a last name. Uh, he works over at Transocean. Uh, big fan of the show, but unfortunately, your podcast has stopped adding new episodes to my queue. After the 4th of November, I use Pocket Cast as my podcast client, and I tried a few more apps, and your podcast still doesn't show up. I use an Android phone. I looked in iTunes, and the most recent podcast shows up. I don't know if this is an error on mine or your end, but I thought you should be aware of the issue. Yeah, so Sylvan, thanks for reaching out. What what had happened is we've had some changes. So uh, Jake, put the link to the uh, Oil and Gas This Week uh, website. And Sylvan, you can go to the website, and there must be 30 different ways, including, um, um, what does he use, Jake? 
Uh, he said he podcast. uses an Android phone, so he uses a one called... Podcast. Yeah, including yeah. podcasts. So uh, what happens if you just go to the Oil & Gas This Week website, go to any of the episodes, and you'll see all the different ways you can subscribe. Um, and, and so our, our apologies, Sylvan, we just had some changes behind the scenes. Now, lucky you don't listen to Oil & Gas HS&E because we actually broke that feed. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was way worse than what happened here. But yeah, if anybody's out there listening, and if you're not uh, using iTunes and using something else and you quit getting um, updates from us, just go to Oil & Gas This Week uh, website and, and you can resubscribe and subscribe in a million different ways. All right, up next is a question from Eddie Schroeder. He's a petroleum land management student out of the Western State Colorado University. He writes, recently I learned about secondary recovery in conventional wells. I also learned that we don't have a secondary recovery method for unconventional wells. Who is leading the research in this field and what uh, what are the innovations are they coming up with that might be applicable in my lifetime? Great show and I look forward to meeting you at NAEP. Yeah, and so, so there's a, this is a good question. Um, if, if anybody out there doesn't know what secondary recovery is, basically when you go into production, regardless if it's conventional, non-conventional, there's a decline curve. The conventionals, that decline curve is much longer in time. The unconventionals is much shorter. But at some point, the pressure falls where there's just not enough um, underground pressure to get that oil to the surface. And when that happens, you go into what's called secondary recovery, where you start doing things to get that oil. And it's you know you, it's either gas lift or um, natural gas reinjection or water injection. Now, some of the new things that are happening is carbon dioxide. Um, and the, the kind of cool thing about that, not that I want to get into the whole carbon dioxide debate on, on climate change, um, but carbon dioxide injection is a way to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and neutralize it, inject it underground. And at the same time, it helps with secondary recovery and it gets the oil out of the ground. Um, and the funny thing, Jake, is years ago, uh, Kinder Morgan started a different business unit of theirs around CO2. And I couldn't figure out, like, Kinder Morgan's a pipeline. Like, what are you doing with CO2? What are you doing? Like, are you getting in a soft drink business or something? And that just <laughs> it just made no sense. And they spent a lot of money. Then, uh, in the last couple of years, one of the uh, uh, well stimulation techniques or, or recovery techniques is, is CO2 injection. And it hit me, it's like, oh my God, they're geniuses. Because Jake, if you start uh, increasing the amount of, of production in a well, you still have to move that oil and gas, right? Mm -hmm. What does Kinder Morgan do? Move oil and, move gas. Oil and gas. And it's like, that's genius. That's like, that's like so genius for them to see that come ahead. So they've started the CO2 business to help increase production because then you got to move it. And guess what? Let's move it to Kinder Morgan pipeline. Um, so yeah, so, so, um, you know, um, some of the things that we're seeing, the CO2 injections is a big one. There's also some research around, of all things, nanoparticles uh, to, to actually, so the ability to control nanoparticles to actually increase the porosity uh, of the rock. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. The people that are leading this are the people you would think. It's the Halliburtons and the Slumberjays, um, you know, the, the Baker Hughes, all the people, all the service companies that work a lot in upstream. But the other thing that's going on, Jake, and this is new, is there's, I probably know of 20 startups and, and, and I, you know, I don't usually play in that world, but 20 startup companies all over the world, not just here in, in Houston, that are looking at this and looking at ways to decrease the cost for, for oil recovery. And they're coming up with some really, really cool stuff. So, you know, I, as far as being in your lifetime, I think it's not only going to be in your lifetime, it's going to be like in the next couple of years. And, and as this wave of new technology comes, it will spur other new technologies. So this place, this part of the industry is going places quickly. And you can see a lot of innovation, a lot of new processes, uh, stuff that we probably can't even think of now that some very smart people are working on right now. So um, this is this is really cool stuff. Great question, by the way. Next up is Will Hopkins. So he wrote a he wrote a pretty long question. So we're going to break this up into three parts so that we can address all of these uh, kind of in order. Uh, he writes, I've been listening to the podcast for a while and it's great and really appreciate you and the team's hard work each week. 
Not sure if this is a topic you guys would ever bring up on the podcast as it, as it does not deal with the U.S. oil and gas directly, but I thought it was related. I had a question regarding China. Some are proclaiming that Trump being president will not allow China to emerge as a new environmental leader among the superpowers. Could you expand on what that would mean for oil and, oil and coal demands? Yeah, so China is getting away from electrical generation using coal, and as, as is most of the developed world. Uh, China's a little bit ahead of the curve. You would have thought they would have stayed with cold longer, but but Jake, honestly, the, the pollution in China is so bad, you literally can't breathe. They had no choice. And they're also wanting to open up their, their country to more Western businesses, and Western businesses just won't want to settle there and bring employees there if they have that problem. So they're, they're rapidly switching to natural gas. They're also doing a lot of hydroelectric uh, in China because um, it, it works there. So um, what's going to happen is, is their coal usage has, has already started to decline and it will continue to decline just like it has in Europe and here. Um, there is a, a technology called clean burn coal technology where you basically turn the coal to a gas and you can, um, it, it's very clean to burn that way, but it's expensive. That technology, um, I don't see any, it's, I think it's at its mature stage. I don't see any major innovations to lower that cost. And unfortunately for that technology, natural gas is so cheap because of us and, and fracking globally. Um, you know, you know, that geology is not just here, that shale gas is not just here. It's all over the place, including China. So as they learn how to frack properly, um, they will be able to tap in their own supplies. We have so much gas, we can feed the rest of the world. So you could continue to see a decline in air emissions from coal, which is good for everybody, and the, the increase in the use of natural gas to, to generate electricity, once again, which is good for everybody. So that's the first part of the question. Second part is he's looking forward to hearing our thoughts on the Keystone and Dakota Pipeline news. Yeah, so um, the media misconstrues a lot of stuff, including what Trump did. Trump did not say we have to complete Keystone in North Dakota. Basically, he made a suggestion saying that um, unless somebody can show uh, uh, for with facts why these two projects should not continue, that we need to continue both of them. Now, they're two different projects, two different scopes, two different infrastructure uh, uses. Keystone was basically to transport that heavy Canadian crude to the Gulf Coast refineries in the U.S. because we need that to blend with our sweet crude. And I've said this a million times. Um, it became a political subject instead of an infrastructure project. Most of Keystone, and here's one of the things that aggravate me. So when Trump made this announcement, all the news, not just like the small news, but the big news agencies were showing the drawing of Keystone from Canada to the Gulf Coast as if it hasn't been completed yet. The pipeline has been completed. There's one little piece of it from Cushing, Oklahoma, back to the Gulf Coast that's called Keystone XL. That's the only part that hasn't been completed. But from Canada all the way to Cushing, Oklahoma, it's done, and it's been done. And the media makes it look like they haven't started on the project yet. The other thing the media gets wrong is they talk about the money's going to a Canadian company. Well, the Canadian company, TransCanada, has a U.S. division. They have to hire U.S. people because they're here in the, in the U.S., mm -hmm. so that money's staying here in the U.S. Um, but anyway, not to get on a rant about our news. Um, so Keystone, when the Keystone XL was held up, a bunch of other pipeline companies saw the opportunity. So they built pipelines between Cushing, Oklahoma, and the Gulf Coast. So having Keystone XL completed, honestly, is not going to make a big difference. What's happening now is that uh, uh, oil is being shipped from Canada to Cushing, Oklahoma, and then TransCanada pays other pipeline companies to ship it to the Gulf Coast. Well, that will disappear or hurt those other pipeline companies. But because that was such a big potential, we now have an oversupply of, of transport between Cushing and the Gulf Coast. So completing Keystone doesn't really do a whole bunch other than let TransCanada honor its contracts and, and, and actually you know own that last little piece. The Dakota pipeline is just a mess. Um, um, it needs to be completed. Um, the, 
tribes approved it way before all this stuff started in the media. The tribes are the ones that need the money from the pipeline because they have oil production on their on their lands and they, they can't get paid for it unless they can move it in that pipeline. Um, it's not going to harm the water supply whatsoever. It doesn't even touch tribal lands. And it's just become this political nightmare in public. And I think finally the, the companies involved have figured out the best thing to do is just leave it alone, and this, which is what they're doing. And now with Trump's recommendation, it's going it's to get completed. Um, once again, if, if you don't know this, a pipeline is the safest way to move crude and natural gas. Actually, it's the safest way to move anything uh, here in the U.S. And so there, there was no reason for all that public outcry. Um, and, and by the way, if, if you're a veteran out there, pay real good attention on how the media tries to incite the fact that you serve for these social causes and make sure you're actually, if you decide to participate, make sure you understand what's actually really going on. So one of the things that was disappointing in Jake is I saw a lot of our veterans out there protesting with, for the Dakota pipeline. It's like, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And it's just because they don't know what's going on. Um, so anyway, there's the next part of the question. All right. And last part, uh, he writes, I live in the DFW area and I have worked on the land side of oil and gas for the last five years, but recently switched careers to commercial insurance. I love to find a way to combine these two careers in my industry or two industries in my career. Sorry. If you can share any contacts or companies that, you know, will be involved in the oil and gas or energy insurance up here in DFW, I would be extremely grateful. Yeah. So, Will, I'll reach out to you separately on the on the podcast because I don't want a whole bunch of people in your boat reaching out to me <laughs> trying to help them find jobs. <laughs> but there is a there's you're in a good place. Um, there are so many layers of insurance in this industry um, in all kinds of different ways. And just having somebody that understands that and also understands oil and gas gives you a big leg up. So I'll shoot you a quick email and, um, and I'll see if I can point you in the right direction. Um, and the other thing he said, which I thought was cute, is now that we've read his email on the air, that he thinks his chance to win in the Red Wing offshore bag is much bigger. <laughs> because for some reason, and we folks, we have no control of this, Red Wing in um, – pulls these winners without us having anything to do it. But for some reason, when we, when we read your question on the air, it does seem like you win one. And, and Jake, I have your bags finally. Yes. Yeah. All right. So last question or not, no, it's last question. Wait, 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 gotta go back. It's real important. Will says if we're ever up there, he'll buy us a beer. Will, we'll take you up on that in a heartbeat. <laughs> or in your case, a bottle of Malbec. I'll, I can do beer too, but yeah, the bottle of Malbec. <laughs> All right. Up next is a question from Rob Waters. He uh, His role is operating agreements at Mountaineer Keystone out of Pittsburgh. Uh, he writes, with the continued resurgence of the oil and gas markets as well as A&D activity, which trend do you see is more likely in the next 12 to 18 months? Texas, mid-continent operators acquiring a position at uh, – how do you pronounce it? Appalachia? Appalachia. Appalachia. Yeah. Uh, traditionally – or traditionally, uh, pure play Appalachian operators taking a shot at the Permian, Delaware, or Eagleford. All right. So for everybody out there, I do not do this professionally. Do not use this to buy stock in anybody. This is just my opinion. Um, but I think for the immediate future, for the next, say, three or four years, the Permian is hot and will continue to be hot. You're seeing a lot of activity out there. Um, you're seeing a lot of the big players recognize that they can make money out there. And so that's going to happen. Now, the Appalachian, I think, has a lot of potential. We need a little bit more maturity in the way we're able to um, uh, tap into the, the, that shell play. But I think you can see a wave two in Appalachia, probably about... 2021 2022 and i think that's gonna be a longer term play as well and a lot of these older plays companies as we mature in their ability to abstract oil and gas um 
from the shell plays, you're seeing them revisit these older plays and that, that trend will, will continue. And eventually that trend will, will uh, bleed off to offshore where we're actually going out to cap wells in the Gulf of Mexico and using, you know, more modern stimulation techniques and actually be able to go to production in a well that everybody thought was depleted, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s. So good stuff. Great, great question, Rob. Up next is a question from Tony Strachan. He is an investor. He said, given your prior discussion about the state of offshore drilling in the U.S., how will this impact the future earnings of Tidewater Marine as oil prices recover? <laughs> Do you know what percentage of their revenue is generated outside of the U.S.? How will Trump's policies change impact uh, U.S. offshore drilling? Thanks, guys. Uh, your show is the single most informative source for oil and gas at industry info that I've found so far. So once again, we are not <laughs> financial analysts. Yeah, t Tony, good question. Tony, if you make some money off of what I'm about to tell you, you, you owe Jake and I lunch or something. Um, and once again, folks, I don't do this professionally. This is just, just you know, my professional opinion. All right, so Tidewater. Tidewater is actually going to pull out, I think, ahead as far as drilling operators. Um, not this year, probably the end of 2018. Um as, as the prices hit the point where they actually start um, getting their drill ships and getting their day rates back to where they need to be. Um, what percentages generate outside the U.S.? It depends on what's going on. So when we had the moratorium in the Gulf, it was almost 100% of the revenues outside the U.S. Uh, right now, um, they're they're real heavy and in, in, uh, they're doing a lot of work in Africa. They still got a little bit of work in Asia Pacific. And I think they got one or two rigs in Brazil. So I don't know what the actual percentage is. I would probably say it's probably pretty close to 60, 40, 60% outside the U.S., 40% in the U.S. But but um, Tony, if you do enough work on their um on their um, earnings calls, you can figure it out yourself. And then how will Trump's policy change impact offshore drilling? That's actually a darn good question. We talked about this earlier about the change in tax laws and uh, uh, import and export tariffs. If it goes the way I think it's gonna go with our current administration, um, you may we may actually see a revitalization of some of the more expensive oil that I said was dead um, because all of a sudden it'll make sense from a financial point of view to go offshore, maybe even in deep water and go in production. So we're keeping an eye on this. Uh, you know, the subsea manufacturers are praying that I'm, I'm right about that. You know, the FMCs and the Camerons and the Ackers and the Gene Oil and Gas, because their business has been decimated by this. Um, so, so we'll keep an eye on this. But I'm starting to think, and and this may work its way into our predictions for 2018. I'm starting to think that if the tax laws are changed, it may help revitalize some more of this expensive oil. Now, when I say that, I, I don't mean North Sea people, and, and sorry for anybody that's out there in the North Sea, but. Um, the money there in the future is all in decommissioning. That's that those fields are depleted. They're mature. Um, you know, Europe is starting to um, distance itself from its appetite for that Brent crude. Um, but here in the Gulf of Mexico, if things change, we may see a, a bit of a revitalization in some of the, the deep water projects, which right now are just too expensive and aren't happening. Um, and then I appreciate the comment about being informative. We try to be informative. Uh, and thanks for uh, giving us a question, Tony. Hey, Jim Cramer better watch out. It's about to be mad money with Mark LaCour. <laughs> no, I'm not going down that route, but it would be we need funny. We need a little buzzer. Buy, buy, buy. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. <laughs> this is it. I'm going over the top right here. Buy, 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 market right here, right now, because I know more than anybody. All right. Last one is a question from Kyle. Uh, he writes, longtime listener here, love the show. I'm currently working at a major oil and gas company as a project engineer. I'm trying to transition my career to a buy-side investment firm. Specifically, I'm targeting small to middle market private equity firms. I've gone through the headhunters, but the majority only provide these services uh, to the investment bankers. I've had some luck cold calling PE firms directly, so I know my value prop uh, as an engineer is enticing. I just need to get my foot in the door, and then I'm confident I can sell my pitch. 
Do you know of any networking events that would help me build my oil and gas buy side network? Uh, very much appreciate any, appreciate any recommendations you might have. Thanks. Yeah. So I had a, I've already had a couple conversations with Kyle and I said, dude, you need to go to NAEP because a lot of the people in the audience are on the buy side and are the smaller investors. And so he went and checked out and he realized that he did, does need to go to NAEP. Not sure he's going to make this one. He may make the summer one. Um, but yeah, if, if you're looking in that world, instead of trying to find an organization that would have a lot of these uh, buy side investment firms, look at where they go, look at where they hang out. This is something I tell all of my uh, people in sales and oil and gas. Don't try to figure out how to get in front of your prospect, figure out where your prospects gather, right? If you can figure out a place that all your prospects go to voluntarily and you go there, you can have 30 worthwhile conversations instead of trying to have one a day by meeting somebody at their office. So uh, Kyle was real appreciative of that. You know, if anybody else is out there and, and you know, you need help and you're looking to, to kind of plug yourself in as buy side, check out the NAEP conferences. Cause that's most of the NAEP is the only conference, Jake, where people intentionally go to buy and sell stuff. And so it's yeah. a di different yeah. atmosphere. So you have a bunch of people have properties that have what they call prospects that are looking for people to buy. And you have a bunch of investors looking to buy properties to make money. So the money is there L literally millions of dollars change hands every year, uh, every NAEP uh, show. So it's a, a great show. We'll be there. All the podcasts will be there. We'll be there as press which is kind of scary. Um, but yeah, if, if you end up going to Nate, uh, Kyle, uh, um, hit us up and we would love to actually talk to you in person. And then Jake, you sometimes touch this investor word a little bit. What's another way for people to get in front of investors? Uh, what's a good way to get in front of it? Really just networking. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it. That's, I mean, that's, I attribute everything, every bit of my success in oil and gas and networking. I mean, think about how we met. It was just me going to a, uh, the, was it the Society, Society of Oil and Gas Entrepreneurs meetup? You were speaking there. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Got, we got plugged in together and then I got plugged in with, you know, uh, a few of the other guys who are kind of in our network and then getting plugged into API and then getting, I mean, it just kind of just snowballed from there. So it's really just putting yourselves out there uh, and just meeting as many people as possible. I try to make an effort to at least have lunch with two new people within the industry uh, every single week. And that's, that's proven to be pretty good. Yeah. And, and, and let me give you everybody out there advice that's out there networking. It's all about the value you bring to the other person. It's not about you. Yes, yes. Right? So if you bring value to other people, it eventually comes back and, and, and droves and, and rewards you. So, you know, the, we talked about a couple of people that wrote in questions that I reached out to. That's me starting to network with them. And I answer their question. That's me providing value. And somewhere in the future, by me doing this, it will come back and help me in, in a very open, transparent, honest sort of way. So that's the secret of networking is you always provide value to the people, the people that you're networking with. Yeah. And if any of you guys read any uh, Gary Vaynerchuk stuff, he wrote a whole book about it. It's called Jab, 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 Right Hook. So the jabs is just you giving value. And then eventually with that right hook, you'll come around uh, and receive it tenfold. And that's, and that's exactly what I do. Yeah, and that's a great book, by the way. If you might, Jake, you'll put a link to the show note because um, yeah. anybody out there, that's a good free book. press for Gary Vaynerchuk. Not like he needs it, but yeah. <laughs> all right. So that wraps up our first Friday Q and I, Q and Q and I, Q and I. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Uh, these were all great questions. Hopefully, you guys got some value out of it. Um, if, if you have a question for the future, we're going to put a, a link in the show notes, just like always. Just click on that, write us, and we'll be glad to answer that on the next one. Yeah, and, if, and the links will bring you to the Oil and Gas This Week website. So it's just real easy to, to get questions to us. So now it's time to transition to our bag winner. Our bag winner this week is Jordan, uh, how would you say it, Biasi? 
I think, is it an L or not? I think it's Blossy. Blossy, Jordan Blossy. He's uh, with International Marine Tank Terminals. He is a chief of emergency response. So congratulations, Jordan. You have won this awesome Red Wing offshore bag, which Jake is getting ready to get his. Um, if you'd like to win your own offshore bag, like Jake is getting ready to have, it's really easy. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Throw your information in there and we draw one lucky winner a week. And Mark, after seeing your bag last week, like that picture doesn't do it justice. You can fit a small human being in this bag very comfortably. <laughs> yeah. So, so we actually, there's two bag sizes and, uh, Jake and I and Patrick all have both. We're only giving away the medium size one because we don't really want y'all hauling. Bo- we don't want all these hauling <laughs> bodies around in the large one. <laughs> all right. Up next is our weekly rig count. So for this week, the rig count is actually up 18 for a total of 712. But since last week our audio was all jacked up, that that week was actually up 32. So overall, since the last time we talked about this, we were up significantly in the rig count. So things are looking really, really good. Drill, baby, drill. Yep, that's what I love to hear. Yep. Events on deck. We have API Houston legend. I'll be there. You could be there, Jake. February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Ooh, probably not. I think I'll be with the wife that day. Yeah, well, I'll be with the wife later. But uh, API Houston Lunch, and I'll be there. If you go, um, uh, hit me up. I'll let you sit at my table. I'll introduce you to a whole bunch of people. We have Ron Higgins, who's the a VP at Gulf Publishing, and he's going to be going over their world oil forecast for 2017. So it yeah, be he did. He did that last year too. That was really interesting. Yeah, it's it's always a great show. Um, then we have the Leaders in Industry Luncheon, February 8th. That's always a great networking event. If you want to meet oil and gas business leaders, I won't be there. And then we have uh, the Future of Global Project Activity, which is a webinar. Um, I'm sorry, not webinar. It's at Rice University. Um, it's their whole EPC forum. If you'd like to get invi- invited to all these type of events, plus more, and plus things like free passes to OTC and all kinds of insider stuff, it's really easy. I have a monthly email newsletter. Jacob put the link in the show note. Once a month, we take all the oil and gas events, stick them in your inbox for free uh, because we need it ourselves. And so we do it for ourselves. And so we thought we'd share it with everybody else. Um then uh, getting out of here in a minute, but first, when you talk about the first Friday Q&A, we talk about uh, leaving questions. Please, 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 if you have something you want to know, something you want to ask me or Jake or just something about the industry in general, let it hit us up with a question. It's become probably our most popular segment. And then reviews. Jake, we did it again. We did not have, in, have any reviews to read. We got to quit doing that. So, um, but people, I think I, we, need, we need people to leave more reviews so that we have stuff to read. Okay, so that's a good one. Leave a review and we'll give you a shout out. It takes all of two minutes. It helps us both in the search engine rankings and also helps your peers find us because they see a bunch of stars. We talked about the HS and feed that I broke. I'm going to quit talking about that because it's kind of embarrassing. Um, we also, since we broke that HSE feed, for, for, um, we also need HSE reviews. So if you listen to that show, and you should, if you listen to this show, can you give us a couple of reviews? And then on the website, Jake, we have an email signup form. We're starting to do more stuff outside the podcast, and that sort of stuff is going to be announced two places first in our LinkedIn group, Oil and Gas Global Network, and on people that sign up for our email list. So go to Oil and Gas this week, uh, put your email in there. We won't spam you, but this way you'll be notified of stuff that we actually aren't connected with the podcast, and it'll all be cool stuff. Um, and then finally, if you like the show, can you share it, share it with your peers, your family, and do our favorite thing that all company email? Um, we've actually had a couple people already do that. It's really cool. And then I think that's about it. So anything else, Jake? That's it, man. All right, we'll so see you guys get, next week. Yep. So folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.